welcome to episode 78 of the Lace Up Podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get anywhere, a quick congratulations to Craig and Nicole Anderson. Um, on Saturday, we found out um, from Craig Anderson during a lockout clean, uh, lockout, um, during uh, the locker room cleanup day that uh, Nicole Anderson is cancer-free. So definitely some reassuring news for the Anderson family. We hope uh, the good news continues to come their way. Uh, of course, congrats to the Penguins. Congrats to the Preds. They have made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. We'll recap an epic Eastern and Western Conference Finals. And we'll preview the Cup Final, of course, because that's what we do on this show. Um, and, uh, it, of course, we're going to be talking about P.K. Subban, because why not as P.K. Subban? And uh, he's the subject of an E60 interview that... Uh, by the time you have hear, uh, by the time you hear this podcast, we'll have already aired. So we'll talk about uh, what he said, including um, his controversial goal celebrations that some people find disrespectful to the game. Mm. Juicy stuff there, um, and also the Memorial Cup just about to wrap up. The World Hockey Championships uh, they wrapped up uh, last weekend. We'll uh, break all that down as well. But first off, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 78 in the NHL. There are only nine players all-time to wear this jersey number. Pierre-Edouard Belmer uh, wears that number today. From 94 to 96 with the Sens, Pavel Dimitro wore that number. Rest in peace, Pavel. Uh, Benny Ferrario, uh, as a member of the Sharks from 2010 to 2012, wore number 78. Byron Freeze, I believe I'm pronouncing that name correctly. This year with Tampa Bay, he wore that jersey number, as did Evgeny Gratchev with the Blues in 2012. Eric Landry with the Canadians from 2001 to 2002. Mark Pouliot with the Oilers from 2007 to 2010. Corey Tropp with the Sabres in 2012 and 2014. And last but not least, Mike York with the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2009. So to all of them and to... All of those in other leagues who have worn number 78, this podcast is for you. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. So, uh... Congrats to the Predators and the Penguins. Uh, they're in the Stanley Cup Finals. It should be a fun one. Uh, we're going to preview both the, that matchup shortly, but first we're going to talk about the two series that just happened, or the two Conference Finals games. Um, let's start with the Senators and Penguins, though, because uh, that was the more exciting series. Um at the end. I mean, the other, I, I would say, like, from game one to game game six, the, it wasn't really that exciting. But game seven was very exciting. Um, it kind of made up for all those, like, boring uh, analyst stuff. So, um, it, it went to double overtime. Um, the game went to double overtime. It was, you know, the Penguins score kept on being like the Penguins would score one time and then the Senators would score right afterwards. So you have to give them the Senators credit for uh, being resilient and never giving up. Um, but in the end, uh, it went to double overtime and Chris Kunitz got the game winner of all people. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to let you talk, since you're the Sens fan here, um, I'll let you talk about this um, as well. You can take it anywhere where you want. Um, but, yeah, so it's your it's your floor here. Well, I appreciate the honor, Brett. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, of course, I have a lot to say about this because this was one heck of a run. And yep. Chris Kuhn, that's the oldest player to score – I believe an overtime winner in a game seven, if I if I get that stat correctly. Um, that's that's basically what it took to eliminate the Ottawa Senators was uh, Chris Kunitz. But um, it again, you talk about Ottawa's resiliency. That's how we got to game seven in the first place. I mean, you look at game five, the Sens are in a 4 nothing hole in the first 20 minutes. Um, Guy Boucher makes a goalie change, didn't really help. Um, Sens ended up losing that game seven to nothing. They gave up three power play goals. Uh, they needed a win in game six to keep their season alive. Um, the first time, believe it or not, the Sens were facing elimination in these playoffs uh, and trailed in this series, which is impressive. Um, and the newly turned 36-year-old Craig Anderson had a whale of a game. He stopped 45 of 46 shots overall, 22 of 23 in the second period alone. Uh, people forget that. Before the third period came around and Ottawa turned it up a little bit, the Sens were just losing puck battles. They were getting beat in the face-off. Pittsburgh was getting a lot of quality chances, and Anderson was doing his part. So explain to me how in the building they name him the third star. I mean, Mike Hoffman gets a, a beauty of a snipe for the game winner, and he gets the first star. But 45 saves on 46 shots isn't enough to get you at least a first star. I mean, I don't know who makes up these decisions, but uh, they were way off the mark on this one. Like, Craig Anderson was the story of the game. Um, Yeah, he was good. Although there were a couple times – sorry to interrupt you here. but No, it's okay. There was a couple times in that uh, game where, like, it would hit the post. But, yeah, for the most part, he was – he kind of got them to double overtime. But, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, to be fair, uh, I'm sure uh, the Sens hit their fair share of posts as That's well. True. And, That's and Matt true. Murray was, was good in his own right. But That's true. you know what? The the goaltenders sometimes get a little bit more help. But again, the Sens never thrive on personal stats. They excel by overcoming adversity as a unit, by believing in each other. And and that's why we needed a game seven, is because they believe this could happen. Um now for everyone who's saying, Oh, the Sens didn't sell out the game, first Canadian venue not to sell out in the conference files since the Habs couldn't do it back in ninety three against the Islanders. By the way, it's the Montreal Canadiens the last team to do this and they won the cup that year. Right. Okay. It's still so I, I all right, you can go first, but yeah, I so I just have some I, I I'm just saying how ridiculous it is. Like the last like Montreal's got a pretty diehard fan base. That fan base got to enjoy a Stanley Cup victory yeah, but in '93. That, that was '93, though. That's 20 years ago, even more than 20 years ago. Well, um, yeah, but, but like, still, like it's it's the Montreal Canadiens. I'm, like, I'm just saying it's, 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 it's not a it's not a great look though to not sell out um, the arena. I mean, I get why you're upset, but I'm just saying it's it's not a great look to not sell out a playoff game, especially like an elimination game for your your team. It's it's not a great look. But need I remind you uh, and, and the listeners that in the lead-up to Game 7, I saw this tweet from Dean Brown, the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. There are still tickets available for Game 7 in Pittsburgh. There are still tickets available uh, in the morning before game day. But where, They've got but, stars as far as the eye can see. How are there still tickets available? 
But were there, but, like, I mean, there's always going to be tickets available, but, like, were there, um, like, was it, like, I, but I would imagine there was less empty seats at Pit in Game 7 Well, yeah, there, game there were six. less empty seats, but, I mean, like, like Pittsburgh, like, they, they know good hockey when they see it. Right. And and, and they know these, these guys are good. I mean, like, yeah, the, I... The, there shouldn't be much of a controversy for, as to whether or not they they should sell out. It should be sell out. For the for me, I think it's it's a little it's a little different because it's I, I like isn't Ottawa or the arena like not in Ottawa? Yeah, right. And there are logistical problems with that, and also the pricing. Like the pricing, yeah. I I think is especially with the whole Phoenix pay system. That thing still hasn't been resolved. We talked about it a couple so, of months ago. So I think that... And, and, and like Melnick is putting it up for hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You know? I think that has more to do with it than like, it's like, oh, people aren't excited about it. I, I'll give like you that. that. Exactly. But, and, and and you look at, um, you know how uh, the Leafs have, you know, um, Maple Leaf Square and all that. The Sens have Sens yeah. Mile on Elgin Street, okay? Yeah. And, and in Game 7, like it was packed with people like like everyone was was packing the place to to watch the games like all playoffs and just before the start of game seven once you know what a power outage is right <laughs> and the and the firefighters bringing a generator to save the day but but that's just that just shows how diehard this fan base really is you may not see them filling the building every night but they're there and 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 in the Ottawa airport there were hundreds of fans gathered together 3 a.m. pouring rain on a Friday morning to watch the players come back from that double OT heartbreaker. Like this is a conference finals exit, and they're and they're and they're cheering like you know they they just went on a run to the finals. Like this is an incredible run that uh, this team just had, and um, just the storylines to to Game Seven. Like Ottawa had a 50-50 shot of winning Game Seven because the Penguins were 0-7 in Game Sevens at home, following a loss in Game Six. Just three and seven lifetime in game sevens at home. Uh, and you, you felt like Ottawa being 0 and 5 lifetime in game sevens, outscored 50, 15 to 6 in those five games combined. Um, they failed to score a goal in uh, their last two games at PPG Paints Arena. The last one came off of Bobby Ryan and OT of game one. So that's exactly 120 minutes. And you just had a feeling. After the Sens gave up the first goal, okay, you know, maybe it doesn't happen because the team that scores first wins 125 of the first 168 game sevens in NHL history. And 30 seconds later, less than that, actually, Ottawa ties it. Uh, Mark Stone gets a key goal there. Penguins get a questionable power play. They take advantage. You thought, okay, Ottawa's done. A few minutes later, Carlson point shot hits the post. Dezingle taps it in, tie game. There were so many points that I'm just like, okay, this is destiny. Ottawa's going to pull this off. Yeah. And it just didn't happen. But I, I've never felt I, I've never felt anything like this before in, in like how a team was able to gather around one another, build off of one another, and just play this brand of hockey so well. This was a never-say-die team at its finest. Um, and and you look at uh, the shares in Pittsburgh uh, on TV, Game 7 drew a 29.7 local rating, the best ever peak for a Penguins game on NBCSN, a 70% share as well. That basically means 70% of all TVs on the Pittsburgh area are watching the Penguins game. And 
you got to wonder what those numbers are like in Ottawa as well, because, you know, hockey is like a religion to Canada. But it's, it's just so historic because, I mean, you look at all the all the teams of years past that should have won, that should have gone to the finals, that should have won. You look at the teams that lost to Toronto over and over and over again. And uh, I think it was 2000, 2002, and 2004 that Ottawa lost. I think they might have faced the Leafs again in 01. Either way, they lost to them a lot. And it, and it ticked me off every single time. And then in 2003... They lose to the Devils. They come so close. They're one goal away uh, from forcing overtime uh, in, in Game 7 at home ice. Those were the teams that were supposed to go to the finals and win. Everyone was expecting those teams to do something. But from the start of the year, I wasn't sure if this team was a playoff team. I was hoping they'd be a playoff team. I wasn't sure. And as the season goes along, you look at everything that happens with MacArthur and with Craig Anderson and his family. Um, I still wasn't sure if they were going to be a playoff team. And then they get to the playoffs. I was hopeful they could make it out of round one and even round two and maybe a stretch, but hopefully round three. I was hopeful they could, but I wasn't sure. And at the time of recording this, Ottawa just came one goal shy of the Stanley Cup Finals. And they almost dethroned the defending Stanley Cup champions in front of their own fans. And the only way as a fan I could be happier is if they won that game. And I, I, I'm and just just the way everyone was, just the way fans rallied around this team. Like Charles Barkley, an NBA guy, asked asked the NBA crew, "Yeah, turn the hockey game on. I'm betting on Ottawa to win this game." Right. And and one of my um, one of my uh, Facebook friends, Eric Green, uh, posted. Um, the Sens got me thinking about Goldburn Middle School the past little bit. I know that's weird, but specifically a two-by-two-foot piece of eye-level paper on your way to the gym that said, Team, together everyone achieved more. And that corny little slogan basically described what the Ottawa Senators were all about. So before we go any further, thank you, Sens, for an incredible season, a season that at the very least no one should forget. And I hope no one forgets. Uh, I'm sure no one in Ottawa is going to forget, but I hope people in the NHL really take notice as to what this team can do right now. Yeah, that, that, that was a nice speech, so um, I appreciate that. Um, Long-winded, but I appreciate it. No, no, it's it's good. Uh, like, you know, that that's what sets us apart from other podcasts is we're, you know, we're fans <laughs> of the game. We're not... We're better than that, yeah. Yeah, we're not, we're not like uh, people who are robotic or whatever, you know. I, yeah. I'd probably be the same way about my brewing. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's funny from like a perspective, from my perspective of, you know, someone who's not a Sens fan, it's just like... And someone who had their team lose to them. I'm a Bruins fan, by the way. Um, the, uh, you know, it was just the, uh, for all those fan tracks people. I know Steve knows I'm a Bruins fan. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, just the whole, like, idea of, um, like, at first, the first round, I was just upset. But I was more... I wasn't really upset about the Senators beating us. Because, you know, we had our own issues. The Bruins had their own issues. But at the same time, it's... 
you know, I was just like, oh, well, they're pretty good. Eric Carlson's good. Bobby Ryan was pretty good at that game. Craig Anderson was unstoppable. And then, but I was more angry at the refs, you know. And then I thought like, oh, well, like you, I thought like, oh, well, the Rangers will beat them in the next round anyways, whatever. And they didn't, you know, John uh, Gabriel Peugeot um, did well, you know, had a game of his life twice in a row kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it was kind of the same thing, you know, the Rangers just didn't have enough defense to get it done. And then, you know, and then I started to believe. I was like, oh, well, maybe they could beat the Penguins. Maybe they could beat the Capitals if they made it that far. Um, but, yeah, it, I, it's impressive. So I can't – I'll give the kudos all to the um, the Senators on that. Um, we do have to talk about a little bit about the Penguins. I do have some statistics here. Matt Cullen is 7-0 uh, and in Game 7, um, which is uh, kind of funny. Um He's the new Justin Williams. And uh, there is also, you just mentioned it, that the Senators are all-time 0-6 now in Game 7s. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the Penguins uh, are back. I'll be curious to see what they do because, uh, you know, Chris Letang um, is still out. Um I think the the big factor into this was once Matt Murray was in uh in net or starting for them in net they uh you know they started to get going and uh uh that's you know it's all the more impressive I don't even know how the pens do it they can like get like Crosby who might be concussed for a bit they have Latang out um Malkin can be out they have so many injuries all the time and yet they're still, you know, they're back, they're in the Stanley Cup again uh, for another year. So uh, the true congrats to them. Um, but it was a well-played series by both teams. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know if you have anything on the Penguins. but uh, Well, I, I will say this about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Um, that decision to go to Matt Murray in Game 4 was the turning point in this series. If Ottawa right. gets a win in Game 4, Pittsburgh's down three games to one. Um, I really think it's a different storyline if Ottawa gets that win in Game 4. And, and yep. Matt Murray, to his credit, he wasn't spectacular as, as Craig Anderson was when he needed to be. But he made, the key, he made the key saves. He made the simple saves. He was just steady as a rock. He was stable. He wasn't frantic and, and scrambling all the yep. time. Like, like Fleury uses his acrobatics to make some of the saves that he makes. And it's incredible, some of the saves that he makes. It's it's. Marc-Andre Fleury's a great goalie, but Matt yeah, Murray, I just better. find, plays a simpler game than Fleury yep. does. And it's simple, but it's effective. Yep. Boring, but effective, if you will. Um, so I, I think in that sense, um, the Penguins um, won that series based on Matt Murray's ability to keep them in games and, and make the key saves when he had to early in games or late in games. And, and let's face it, Ottawa's power play lost in this series as well. I mean, prior to that Bobby Ryan tally to tie up game six, they were 0 for 30 on the power play. That that really slowed them down. That really let them down in these playoffs. And it's going to be um, – it's going to have to be a work in progress for Guy Boucher and his staff moving forward. And speaking of a work in progress, we also have to ask the big question, can Ottawa do this again? Can they do this year after year after year 
because you look at the NHL and sports yep. in general, it's very tough to have sustained success these days. I mean, Unless just switching Pittsburgh. sports for a bit, you, you yep. have the Major League Baseball, Colorado Rockies. Last year, they were an average team. 32-18 and 18 at last check this year. They have good yep. pitching and good offense. And then you look at your Boston Red Sox, who have David Price and Chris Sale, probably two of the best left-handers in the game. One of them couldn't get much run support at the start of the year. The other is trying to do well in a rehab stint in AAA. And as a team, they're close to 500. They're not playing fantastic. They're playing okay, but they're not playing fantastic. This is a team that should be contending for a World Series. And then you look at the NHL picture. Well, we've won nine in a row, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're, yep. you're, you're getting there. You're getting there. Yep. You're, you're starting to catch on, on fire. It's the quiet. Hurts you. But anyways, yeah. that's beside the point. Switching back to the NHL. I didn't know. At least made some yeah. positive strides. Sorry, and, and I just think they're they're en route to becoming a bigger threat than Ottawa in a few years. And you look at Sabres. If they stay healthy, they could be a force as well. And even Detroit, with all the skill they have, they could have a bounce back year. With healthy with a healthy Steven Stamkos in uh, Tampa's lineup, I expect the Lightning to be better. Uh, Boston, in, in the yep. coming years as well. And don't sleep on Brett's Bruins. <laughs> they've got a lot of veteran depth they, uh, when it comes to winning face-offs. That's centered. They, they've they got Krejci, they have Bergeron, they have Bacchus. That's a solid top three for yep. your centers. And then you look at all the teams in the Metro, the Pens, the Caps, um, the Rangers, everyone else, Columbus, who had a great year. In order to be the best equipped to avoid all these obstacles, you need to find out what your strengths and weaknesses are. <clears throat> Power plays a weakness. Um, and you also have to find out which guys are going to be able to give more. And this is where it gets tricky. You have to wonder if Victor Stahlberg is the right fit long term. Is he worth resigning? Um, if Colin White isn't ready for the NHL, I don't know if he's ready to be a regular NHL or I don't think he is. How long do you keep Chris Kelly around? Do you keep him for another year? Um, What about Tommy Wingles? What about Ryan Dezingle? What about Tom Pyatt? Uh, I think Pajot's got a a solid spot on this team, but Wingles, Dezingle, and um, that it's going to be interesting who they uh, keep out of that bunch as well. Uh, For Mike Condon, I think they keep him around unless Vegas takes him in the expansion draft. You look at a Bobby Ryan. He scored more points in these playoffs than he did in his final 36 regular season games. So he's probably going to be staying put for another year. He's also probably getting paid too much for Vegas to even consider taking a chance on him. So I think we're good in that respect. And then big game brass, what he brought to the table as well at times, especially in the first round against Boston. Um, I think I think the core of this team is looking solid. The big test is to what Dorian does with the bottom six forwards. That's probably going to be the biggest thing that I'm looking at uh, heading into the offseason. Um, on, on, on another note, just quickly, before you get your two cents in, I'm, I apologize for taking too much of your time here. It's fine. I think, I think I hate the pens more than the Bruins now. Well, in fact, I, mean, I think I hate the pens more than any American team because a Canadian teams, Montreal and Toronto, that's a given. As far as Canadian teams are concerned, Ottawa fans can't stand those two. On the American side of things, it's Pittsburgh, and it's because they've been so good for so long. This is the fourth time they've defeated Ottawa in the past nine years. Their fourth trip to the Cup Finals. This is the second time they've beaten Ottawa and reached the Finals in the same year. They have way too many stars, which makes them a bit easier to dislike. And that's partly why the rivalry with Toronto got so heightened, because in the playoffs, they just wouldn't stop kicking our butts. They had a great goalie. They had great players. It didn't matter what we did. 
When the final buzzer sounded, the enemy won and the Sens lost. So, Pittsburgh, I dislike you immensely. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I actually don't mind the Pit- the Penguins that much, just because they don't have Matt Cook anymore and James Neal. Um, there aren't really too many hateable players on the team other than, I guess, Crosby, but I don't even hate Crosby that much, to be honest. Um, I, think I just hate the fact that they're so good. That's, yeah, that's, that's all I, I get that. I, I hate, like, uh, I don't know, I mean, obviously I hate the Habs more, but, um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really the only team I hate. Yeah, in the in the NHL, um, the Blackhawks too. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, we're not an objective uh, podcast here. Um, yep. <laughs> nope. Um, oh yeah, so uh, you just got me off track, but that's okay. Um, yeah, the the uh, let's go to the next series though. Uh, we talked a bit about them. Um, we'll talk about the Penguins a bit in the preview. Um, so the uh, the Predators are the other team that's in the finals. Um, they beat the Ducks here. Um, it was kind of a it was in they beat the Ducks in six. Uh, they had uh, thanks to Colton Sissons who had a hat trick in that game. Um, I just wanted to read you a. Uh, Something that Colin Fitz, who is a who is a Nashville reporter, um, mm-hmm. who's been covering the Predators for a long time, um, he said. So he wrote in like this like this tweet here that last year I was in Milwaukee covering the media day for the AHL Admirals. Sissons uh, was named captain and asked if he's concerned with being a lifer in the minors. He said not really and was motivated to get back into the NHL. Fast forward a year and a half later, he scores a hat-trick to send the Preds to the Stanley Cup Final for the first time ever. So that's a nice story to have. Um, I thought that was a cool uh, thing to share here. But um, yeah, the Predators are just, like, I was just looking through their roster the entire time. You know, they have guys like P.K. Subban, Ryan Johansson, uh, Philip Forsberg, all guys who were traded from their other, you know, from their drafted team, um... For Ryan Johansson and P.K. Subban's, um, it was because they didn't get along with management, you know, uh, or uh, the coach. Uh, You also have James Neal, who just didn't get along with the team in Pittsburgh. They just had it with him. Um, He's going to face his former team. Uh, And then you also have, uh, you know, like Victor Arvidsson. Uh, You have... uh, uh, Pecorine, who, who's ha- uh, who didn't have, who hasn't been as good as he has been in previous years, but he's been uh, good too. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some players. Um, you know, the entire like Ryan Ellis, like people didn't know if he was going to be this good. Roman Yossi is one of the most underrated players, so it's like you know these are all guys who have chips on their shoulders in some format. Um, or in some way, and that's just impressive to me that they're, like, they kind of use that as a adversity and as a way, to, as their identity, um, and, uh, I even wrote about this in my latest article, um, quick plug, and, uh, also, yeah, it's, um, 
you know, it should be an interesting matchup between the Penguins. Uh, actually, we're, we're not getting there first, but... Um, not quite. Not quite. So, I'll, talk, I'll say, can the Preds keep this up? Let's ask that question first. Okay, um, I'm going to answer that with another question. Were the Ducks the better team, as Cogliano and uh, Carlisle kind of sort of alluded to? In Game 6, um, oh, Rene's, yeah. Rene's teammates only mustered eight shots in the first two frames combined. However, they did score twice, so they're very opportunistic with their chances. That's one thing Nashville has going for them. Mm-hmm. Nashville starting goalie. They had to face 25 shots in the first two frames combined, coupled with another 16 in the final frame. 14 of the first 25 shots that Anaheim took were from the slot, a.k.a. the money zone. And they had traffic in front of Rene for a good chunk of their shots from the point. But still, at the end of the day... The Preds were able to lock it down when it mattered most in the final frame. They were able to get the win. They scored four goals in the third, although two were empty netters, to be fair. But still, they were able to shut the door on uh, the Anaheim Ducks. And it's not that Bernie was particularly bad from Game 5 onward, but he didn't make the big save that he needed to when when his team really needed it. Nashville relied on several weapons to win games. That's another thing they have going for them. Of course, we recall uh, Colton Sissons' hat-trick in Game 6. Uh, I think only five players have scored a hat-trick in an elimination game. I think Gretzky and Curry are among uh, that uh, short list of players. And for Sissons to join that group is incredible. Um, I I, I really think that the Preds just have that. They remind me of the sense. They remind me exactly of the sense. They they don't care how they win games. They just find different ways to win games. And... We saw how Pittsburgh almost fell victim to that in the conference finals, one goal shy of getting eliminated. Um, So I really think Nashville's going to give Pittsburgh a run for their money. Um, I'm going to wait for um, our finals preview before I make any predictions or or expand on my thought. But I definitely think the Preds um, are capable of giving Pittsburgh a serious run for their money. Now, taking a look at Randy Carlisle, he claimed that the schedule wasn't on their side. They played seven games in 13, ga- in 13 days, which sounds like a lot of hockey. That's one game every two days. Yep. But if they beat Edmonton in game six, let's face it, they don't have a reason to get up and make that claim. No, they don't. Um, they also... Even if, they're, even if they're exhausted, I should also mention this, even if they were exhausted in this series, there were no back-to-back tilts. In fact, right. I don't think, from my memory, once in these playoffs we've seen a back-to-back. No, I was I about mean, to the say Ranger, the Rangers a few years ago they had to deal with at least two or three back to backs in the first two rounds. Yeah. They have reason to to stand up and say uh, you got to do better with the schedule. And especially, I think the NHL was pretty generous with how they schedule. Especially things. with this conference finals where it was Penn sends one day, Preds Ducks the next day, Penn sends you know so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I don't think he has really that much ground to talk about that because. You were, you know, you were gone for a day, basically. Um, you had a day off. Um, and just like the other conference finals. So, I don't know if you could really say that, um, per chance. Um, and also, you're right. If, if the uh, Ducks uh, closed out the Oilers earlier, then they wouldn't, you know, then they wouldn't have had to worry about it. But they didn't win. So, it's, I don't know. I don't even know if, like, 
you can make the claim that the Ducks were the better team because I'm not even sure if that was true. I mean, I guess in games you, one and three, they were they were actually outshot significantly. Yeah, but like Pecorini was better. You know, they got they still the Preds still won the game. You know, so it's it's uh, not. I don't know. It's you know just because you outshoot a team doesn't mean uh, you're the better team all the time. Um, also, I do have to mention that Pecorini has been incredible in these playoffs. He has nine forty one save percentage and a 1.7 GAA, I think that's what it really relies on, is if Pecorine can be this Pecorine instead of the Pecorine that we've seen in the regular season. Um, as I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but Pecorine hasn't, hasn't really been that great um, all through the regular season this year. You know, he, he may have been uh, their backup Juicy Saras. UC Saros, I don't know how to pronounce the name. He's yeah, been pretty you, you good got to, it the second time, UC Saros. Um, you know, he's been pretty good uh, for Nashville when he's played. Um, he's outplaying Pekka, and now Pekka is just unbelievable right now. So, uh, so kudos for him. I think that's what it really all comes down to. Yeah, um, it starts and ends with Pekka Arena, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the defense, of course, because that's how they got there. Um, now, now uh, just taking a look at the Ducks, just quickly. Yep. Um, this offseason, Eves, Holzer, and well, Bernier gonna, are, the UFA, are the UFA notables at the moment. So if we're talking if, if I the was going to save that till the rapid fire, but okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll quickly, well, you I'll quickly, quickly mention this. Yeah. I'll quickly mention this. Um, the Ducks, they don't have too much to do on the UFA front. Eves, Holzer, and Bernier, are, those are the UFA notables. Uh, if I guess if you include Nate Thompson, if you think he's worth keeping around, that's four. Um, and and we'll talk we'll talk about their core later on. So it, it's it's more of it, it's less to do with um, the guys they have to resign. That's that's a, a big concern. We'll we'll expand on that in the rapid fire. Yeah. But uh, the amount of guys they have to resign uh, before July first, that's not a concern as to whether or not the Ducks can reach this yep. point. Anyways, moving along. Yeah, no, it's it's okay. I I I know what you're saying. I did have the I question. I lose track sometimes. I apologize. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I did ask the question of if the Ducks are running out of time, which this is something we can answer. You know, Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlev, and Ryan Kessler are all 32 years old, which isn't exactly yep. young. Uh, there's gonna we're gonna talk about the expansion draft in the rapid fire, but um, they do have some decisions to make that are going to be tougher than any team in the expansion draft has to make. Um, so, yeah, they—they, they, I don't know if they're necessarily running out of time, but um, it's close. Uh, but, yeah, let's get to the uh, – we'll do the preview and predictions first. Um, yeah. I guess I'll start. I think uh, it really all comes down to um, – the Predators' defense with Subban, Yossi, uh, Ryan Ellis, and Matthias Eklund, um, if those guys can shut down Crosby, Malcolm, Gensel, Kessel, um, Kunitz, all those guys, then I think that that's really going to be the whole factor, is the Preds' defense on the Pens' offense. Um, but... Uh, that's that's going to be really the question: is can the can the pens 
Penguins offense, uh, you know, outscore the Preds defense. Um, and then on the other hand, you know, the Preds don't have Ryan Johansson for the rest of the uh, series. The Penguins probably won't have Chris Letang. Um, you know, so it's it, those are both valuable players to their team, but it's not like the end of the world for them because Philip Forsberg has to step up and Ole Matta and all those defensive guys have to step up for the Penguins. So it will be interesting to see. I think ultimately this is when Chris Letang's um, absence will hurt them. So that's why I'm leaning towards the Predators in this. Um, but I think it will be close, and I think I'm going with the Preds in seven. Um, what do you? And, and you can't forget about the star power that they have in, in their anthem right. lineup. That's that's a game changer too, right there. Right, right, exactly. Although they're going to be opening the series on the road, so maybe not. Um, but just right. taking a look at the Preds, um, I, I'm, I'm wondering. You know, we obviously know Johansson failed; they're not coming back. We're not sure what the situation is with Mike Fisher. He's basically their number one center now, um, with with all those injuries. Um, again, they remind me a lot of the Sens and just the way they were assembled, you know, Subban, Johansson, uh, yeah. they developed Victor Arvidsson and Ryan Ellison Pecorine. Um, I just love what David Poyle has done with this team. Yeah, he's been good. And, and now they find themselves trying to become the second eight seed or second wildcard team since 94 to win the cup. What they've done is incredible. And how about this stat for PK Subban? This, this says, uh, again, this isn't his team, but you you got to admire the fact that he was in charge of containing Jonathan Taves, Vladimir Tarasenko, and Ryan Getzlav in the first three rounds. In those three rounds, yep. sixteen games, those three guys combined for three goals. Yep, which is incredible. Um, taking a look at the, the Pittsburgh side of things, they eliminated the capital of Ohio. They beat America's capital. They took down Canada's capital shortly after that. And the first two rounds, they went up against a pair of top five teams in the NHL standings and beat them both. Um, nobody since the 96-97 and 97-98 Red Wings have won back-to-back titles. Um, but um, obviously this team doesn't really care about superstitions and experiences past because in 2009 and 2016, they touched the Prince of Wales trophy. You never touched the conference yep. finals trophy. Uh, superstition. Um in both of those years where they touched the trophy, they won, and they touched it again this year. Um, what's also more impressive, this is their fourth run with Crosby and Malkin at the helm. Yager and Lemieux only got two cup runs in their first 11 years with the Pens, so doubling that is is pretty nice. Um, you mentioned the injuries, though. Latang being hurt. Schultz probably not playing at 100%. I think the, pre- uh, the Penguins sorry, have more to lose with the expansion draft on the horizon. Yep. Because they stand to lose a quality player up front offensively. Well, they have to also uh, trade Mark Andre Fleury too before. Well, yeah, there's also that because he has um, a no movement clause, and uh, yeah. they're they're going to want to protect Matt Murray. Exactly. Um, that being said, Matt Murray. Speaking of Matt Murray, I think they're a better team with Murray uh, between the pipes than they are with Fleury. I think we've established yeah, that. I think um, anyone so, can agree with that. Everyone. Yeah, so I, I think that's really going to make it tough on Nashville. I have faith that it'll take at least six games 
But I think the Preds can somehow find a way to pull this out. I'm rooting for them, but my mind is thinking, you know what, Pittsburgh can win this series. Yeah. But you know what? Forget what my mind is saying. I'm going with my heart. Going with heart. I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to be rebellious and say Preds in six games. Okay. But I would not be surprised if it goes seven. Now, two storylines you should watch for: Patrick Hornfist for James Neal. That uh, trade is the oh, yeah. center of attention. We mentioned uh, James Neal playing against his former team. 219 games since the trade out of Pittsburgh, 77 goals and 59 assists. Hornquist has played in 216 games with the Pens. He has 68 goals and 78 assists to his name, also a Stanley Cup ring. Yep. And um, behind the bench, two Massachusetts guys squaring off. Mike Sullivan, he's won his first seven playoff series with the Penguins organization. He's going up against Peter Laviolette, who has twice as many playoff oh, wins. Yeah. Both have a cup ring. Both are going for their second Stanley Cup. Well, yeah, I forgot that LaViolette was from Massachusetts. But, yeah. Um, also, I put a Twitter poll up. Uh, they It was very close. Uh, 53%. I just asked them who, who you have winning the Stanley Cup final. Um, it was very close. Preds got... Just beat the Penguins, so Preds got 53% of the vote. Uh, Penguins got 47% of the vote. So it's going to be a very close series. Um, yeah, it should be interesting to see um, how it all goes. Um, and, and a lot of people are wanting to profit off of this because the cheapest seats yep. on the secondary market to watch the finals in Nashville are $59 more than the most expensive seats in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And the primary market for all three potential Stanley Cup final games in Nashville yeah. sold out within five minutes of them being a bit, uh, of them being available to season ticket holders. Yeah. I also, I just before we go to the rapid fire, I do want to mention that um, it is very cool that the Predators are like this is an expansion team. This is the first time ever they've uh, they've made it. This franchise has made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. And it's just, like, cool. Like, when you see the NBA Finals where the Warriors and the Cavaliers are um, are playing yeah, each other. they're going off for, like, the for, seventh time yeah. in a row? No, and, it's like, the third, the third time, time in a row. They uh, And during this playoffs, the, Cavalier, the Cavaliers, where they, um, they've only lost once combined, one to the Celtics. Uh, thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's just, it just shows how much parity there is in the, um, in the world in here. And like the Predators were the first wildcard team to make it to the Stanley Cup finals. And that's, um, that's really impressive. I guess if you count yeah. the Kings in, uh, 20, uh, 2012, um, that counts too. But I think like, uh, the Predators had a worse Record. Yeah, they're the they're the first yeah. 16 seed to make it. Yeah, 16 seed. Yeah, the Kings were a 15 seed. Is that right? Yeah, um, it must have been. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I, I think it's just very cool, and it's also cool just seeing like this the entire city of Nashville just uh, root for like just take the Predators um, as their own team. You know, kind of just make it their own. Um, and so that's really cool. And it's cool for expansion. That's really why Bettman, um, you know, put all these teams in the South and the West Coast is for moments like this. So, um, and why there's a salary cap too? I mean, yep. like it's it it's no slam dunk. Like there's no 
there's no guarantees that you're going to win the cup every single right. year now. And there's no, and there's very, and, and the dynasties that we do see, yep. they're legit dynasties because yep. it's so tough to create one of those original dynasties now. It's yeah, impossible. Exactly. It, well, yeah, and that's why it's so impressive that the Penguins made it twice in a row to the Stanley Cup Finals. The Blackhawks, yeah. you know, won three Stanley Cups in five years, six years. Um, you know, this is the second time they've done that in the last decade, by the way. Yeah, because in 08 and 09, they they made it back that's, to back years. That's true too. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a cool thing. Um, here's we'll go to the rapid fire now. So, like I just mentioned, uh, we were going to talk about it um, in the rapid fire, um, but uh, so it turns out that uh, Hampus Lindholm and Sammy Vatanen have torn labrums and will need major surgery, according to Eric Steffens, who's a Anaheim Ducks beat writer. Um, Lindholm is expected to be out four to five months. Vatanen is out longer. Um... We, uh, we kind of teased this um, earlier in the show, but uh, the Ducks have some uh, decisions to make in terms of the expansion drafts. Um, they have, so they have, as, just as a reminder, there are two, uh, in terms of protection list, you can uh, protect seven forwards, three Ds, and one goalies, or you can protect eight forwards, and one goalie, um, so or eight fo- uh, eight skaters and one goalie. Um, so and also the no movement clauses. Um, players who have no movement clauses are automatically protected. There's nothing you can do about that. So there are four players that the Ducks have protected through no movement clauses. That's P- Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlav, Ryan Kessler, and Kevin Bieksa. Uh, the, all of them are over 30. All of them are over 30, um, especially Kevin Bieksa, who's 35 years old. Um, yep. And that's even crazier considering that Hampus Lindholm, Sammy Vatanen, and Cam Fowler are probably like the three, you know, players that the Ducks should keep in terms of defensemen. But they're going to have yeah. to keep Kevin Bieksa somehow. So I, uh, so I did this out. Um, obviously they're going to keep John Gibson. Uh, I don't think they're going to keep anyone else. Maybe Jonathan Bernier, but probably not. Um, and then as for, so if they do, uh, the eight, uh, no, if they do the seven or the eight forwards, they can keep Hampus Lindholm, Sammy Vennon, Cam Fowler, you know, Beck's, Bieksa, Kessler, and Getzlev, and Perry are automatically kept. But then you have to expose either Jacob Silverberg or Ricard Raquel, um, which is going to be a decision they're going to make. However, if they do the 7 3 D, uh, 3, you know, the 7 forwards, 3 defense mode, uh, they are going to have to expose one of those defensemen, either Cam, Cam Fowler, Sammy Bannon, and Hampus Lintholm. Um, and those are probably going to, like, Las Vegas is going to keep either, so, uh, is going to keep either Vatanen or, uh, you know, whoever, de- uh, Anaheim decides to expose there, um, in terms of defensemen. But, um, so yeah, they're going to have a decision to make. 
Otherwise, unless Kevin Bieksa wants to remove his no-movement clause, um, I think the Ducks are in trouble in that sense. Um, and it'll be an interesting thing if we're talking about... Um, in terms of, uh, you know, just from a fantasy perspective, because the Ducks roster is going to change a lot if they're going to lose one of these players. Um, or if they make a trade, but they're going to have to do something, um, in the off season. Yeah. It's, and, uh, you, you look at both of these guys. Um, the, the interesting part about Batten and Lindholm is both of them needed new contracts and Lindholm's situation dragged on, uh, for longer than they probably would have liked at the start of the year. Yep. And point production wise, they, they, they had off years. I mean, Lindholm got 20 points in 66 regular season game, the lowest of his career to this point. Uh, in 17 playoff games, he only got four points. That's an 24 points in 71 regular season games, three of which were goals. I believe at some time, I think at some points he was actually a scratch. Um, and I can't blame Carlisle for scratching him at times because that's the lowest point total since his rookie season. Uh, both guys need to have bounce back years. They need to have him at full strength. I don't care if it takes them until December to find their way back in the lineup. They need to be super cautious here. And I absolutely think that um, how how all this happens and how long it takes for them to get back in the lineup, I think that further speeds the need to re-sign Ken Fowler. Yep. And this is a guy who not only needs a new contract because um, oh, yeah. he's got another year left on his deal, I believe, but his 11 tallies were just one higher than his rookie season total which is also his career high. He was also one point shy of equaling his career high 40 points. That was also set in his rookie season. His plus seven rating also is best since 2013-2014. So he got him at four million bucks for another year. Then he can leave if he wants to. Um, It's best to not have these things drag on any longer than they should. Like we all know how long the Vatnin and Lindholm uh, negotiations took, especially – Campus Lindholm's, yep. so you don't want that dragging over. Um, yeah, dragging that over took your like the entire, entire year. So Bob Murray needs to get that settled. Uh, as for um, as for expansion drafts, yeah, it's it's definitely a a tough decision as to who gets protected. Yep. Um, just taking a look at uh, some of the prospects they have, though, uh, they do have Sam Steele, the Regina Pats, in their system. He's coming off. 50 goals and 131 points in 66 regular season games. He also got 11 goals and 30 points in 23 playoff games. Over the weekend, he was named the CHL's top scorer of the year. So it's good to see that kind of progress from a late first-round draft pick. He's but even, center, then, right? even then, though, it's tough to replace a 30-goal scorer like Ricard Raquel overnight. Yep. And then you look at Silverberg's emergence as well. I mean, this guy scored 20-plus goals in back-to-back years. He's also tied with Jane Gensel still for first in playoff goals this year with nine. And uh, in 17 games, he got 14 points in the right. playoffs. So what they do with Cam Fowler and what they do with the defensemen uh, that they have and who they protect, uh, it's it's really going to have a chain reaction as to how this team looks. Yeah, I don't know what the Ducks do. I, I would probably uh, expose one of the defensemen. I'm thinking Sammy Vanninen because he's less valuable. But at the same time, like you kind of need a good decor. So I would, I don't know. I think you might want to expose like Jacob Silver, Jacob Silverberg. 
um, instead. Um, it'll be I'll be interested to see what they do um, there because I I don't know. We'll see. And then he gets traded to Ottawa, and then all is right again. Right, right. Yeah, he was a former Ottawa senator. Um, got him in the Bobby Ryan deal. Yep. Uh, speaking of defensemen um, who got traded, PK Subban is in the news again. Uh, he had this. Uh, he had an interview with the um, with E60 ESPN. If you're in Canada, um, they're uh, a ch- they're like TSN basically. Uh, they used to have the hockey rights. Now they don't. But uh, they interviewed PK Subban. Um, we're actually gonna play a clip here. Um, but uh, he also. But before we do, he uh, he said something about. He had some words about his time on the Habs. He said, I still have no idea why I'm not a Montreal Canadian, and quite frankly, I really don't care. Um, and here he is uh, talking about, um, like, people don't like his celebrating um, goals. And so uh, we're going to play this clip here. Like, there's a talk show talking about, like, my celebration? You were disrespectful. That's what people were saying. Well, maybe I was disrespectful to the guy sitting up in, uh, you know, row 17 in the upper deck when I basically <laughs> shot an arrow at him, but I don't think I'm disrespecting the game or anything like that. Can I not enjoy playing in the NHL? Can I not enjoy scoring a goal? I mean, I really don't care if you, you don't like it or not. And it's not that it's disrespectful to the game, but I'm sorry when I score a goal in the National Hockey League against the best players in the world. If I get excited and I want to show my emotions, I will. So yeah, that that was the interview there. Um, hopefully, ESPN doesn't sue us. Um, I don't think they're listening, anyways. But um, if they do, sorry, we gave you credit here. Uh, but uh, and I, while we're at it, you can watch the full E60 documentary probably on uh, their website. So please too. do that. It, it yeah. should be a must watch. Here, here we go. Free ads for them. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, the, uh, yeah, but, like, I, I, I just wanted to pick that quote out, because that, that was, like, a cool thing to say. It's, like, you know, P.K. Subban's probably the most polarizing athlete, um, in hockey right now. Um, other than, I guess, Phil Kessel, but, that, you know, people have kind of, it's, like, who hates Phil Kessel? Um, so, yeah, P.K. Subban's the most, and he's right, like, the, the whole society in hockey, especially hockey players, um, about how you have to be like this like robot basically when you talk and just talking cliches when you give interviews. And it's just refreshing to see that some guy can, you know, just have fun. Like if I was in the NHL, I'd like celebrate all my goals. Um, and so it's, it's kind of cool that he's, he's like that. So uh, kudos to him. Yeah, I don't know if you have anything on this. Now, uh, that one time where Tiger Williams celebrated like a cowboy, riding yep. the stick between his legs, right. um, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people said, oh, he's being disrespectful to the game when he does that, you know? Yeah. And, and there's just like this big outcry. Like, P.K. Subban also added that there's at least seven play- 700 players in this league, at least. And he find it boring if all of them sound alike. And he's right. Yep. I mean, look at Yarmer Yager. Does the salute, um, like, uh, in his early days in the NHL, sometimes when he scored a goal. I love that personality. Yeah. Ovechkin, I love that personality every now Ovechkin, and then. Absolutely. 
Ovechkin pretended. Fun. We need to make this game yeah. fun again. Yeah, make make hockey fun again. Uh, no, yeah. he uh, also uh, like Ovechkin had that like he pretended the stick was literally on, on fire. Stick, yeah. Um, that was his rookie year too. So I think yeah, I think we he need got more of that. John Cherry for doing that as well. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just this whole like philosophy of like you just have to do your job and um, you know like, you know, get to work and, like, you know, it's that whole philosophy, like, of playing injured, like Patrice Bergeron did or whatever. You know, it's just that whole, like, you have to be mentally tough and it's not about me. But, it, you know, like, those kind of stuff, it's, it's kind of cool, you know. So um, you, we need more but, of those. But here, here's the kicker, you know, PK's just acting loose and, and yep. he's doing all this stuff and he's in the finals. Yep. That too. He's in the finals. And he's also, and he can have fun. Yeah. And also, when you think about it, like, if you look at around the league, you have, like, Cam Newton doing the dab whenever he scores yeah. the touchdown. You have uh, LeBron James with the whole um, dust, you know, the chalk, like, yeah, throwing yeah. the chalk Before up. You know, you have, like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, baseball has similar issues with hockey in terms of celebrating. Um, Joey Batflip, yeah. That Batflip, that yeah. That, Texas. Um. Yeah. But, like, you know, people got angry at uh, Batista there, too. So it's, um, you know, yeah, you're exactly right. We need more of that funness in the in the league. So um, so good for him. Um, Steve Ott became the Blues assistant coach. Uh, this is a kind of an interesting move just mostly because, you know, he went straight. You know, usually you go to the minor leagues if you want to coach. I could see him being a good coach. Um, but, uh, well, we'll see if he, uh, you know, but now he's in the actual, he's going to be the St. Louis Blues assistant coach, um, for, uh, do we know who, who's the coach again? Is it, um, Mike Yo. Oh, Mike Yo, yeah. That's probably so. why the assistant coach vacancy came up in the first place, because he was an assistant to Ken Hitchcock right, before. Right, right, no, I, I knew that. But, yeah. um, we'll see if he, uh, I mean, I don't know if it really matters, but we'll see if he can, if he knows what he's doing. Um, I don't know if you have anything on that. Now, um, this this posts an interesting question. I'm 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 interested to see if this is starting to be a change in the guard as to like who they hire for like assistant coaches and like owner and and uh, front office gigs because yeah. you're you're talking about a 20 goal scorer with the Stars back in 2009 2010 and in his last three years he's uh, he's combined for six goals after scoring nine goals in 2013 2014. And now he's an assistant coach shortly after he retires. Yep. And you look in Buffalo as a classic example. In 1999-2000, Jason Botterill played in 25 games with the Atlanta Thrashers, the highest single season total in his big league career. And he's the GM of the Buffalo Sabres. Yep. And it really begs the question, if people are veering towards a new crowd of front office folk, and we've seen it for a bit because Hextall, the GM of the Flyers, Gar Snow, the GM of the Islanders, they were once goalies in this league. Now they're GMs at the NHL level. Yep. Um, and you still have guys like Dean Lombardi kicking around, Daryl Sutter kicking around on the open market. Right. And guys like Ott and Botterill are taking their jobs that could easily be filled by NHL coaching veterans or NHL veterans at the GM position. And then the young guys like uh, John Chaika, uh, not even 30 years old, he's a fairly successful GM with the Coyotes. Yeah. He's making deals left, right, and, and center. And then you had – um... It turns out it wasn't actually true, but uh, it turns out, like, Kyle Dubas 
may have been uh, looking for the Colorado Avalanche job, but it turns out that that may not actually be true. So um, he's he's also another young player, a young guy um, in this system. But a hot commodity if he's yeah. available. Absolutely. True. A lot of people are going to be considering him. Yeah. But it turns out, like, the, the Toronto didn't actually grant permission or something like that. So um, I don't know. Because they're wise. Yeah. No, of course. Um, but it was just <laughs> interesting. Um, Taylor Hall is in the news again. Um Oh, and also Mike Sullivan, you were talking about former players who are coaches and yeah. now. Mike yeah. Sullivan was another co- player who wasn't, he didn't score a ton of goals, but um, is able to be a good coach. Bruce, so. Cassidy, uh, Bruce Cassidy Bruce Cassidy had potential as well, but yep. injuries cut his career short a little bit, I think, uh, from, from yeah. what I hear. I mean, there's, actually, a, um, there's a number of players. went to the same high school as my mom as well, yeah. so... Um, but um, there's a num- like, there's a number of coaches who played with the hockey. Bruins, especially with their yeah. AHL affiliate in the years before that. It's it, it's it's a new wave that we're seeing. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, not just new age. I mean, there's like Claude Julian was a player once. Um, Joel Quenville played too. Uh, Daryl Suttle, all those guys. So um, yeah, it's it's not new per se, but it is like showing like a new youth movement in terms of. Coaching yeah, and stuff. I, I'm just, I'm mean, just saying the guys that you usually expect to have the GM positions and that coaching positions, you see a lot of good candidates out yep. there, and they're hiring a lot of unknown talents or guys that you're yep. just thinking, really, that guy? Well, at the same time, like you know, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky wasn't that good of a coach, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, you know, it, or like uh, Brett Hull wasn't really that great of a GM um, yeah. when he was for the Stars, so um, you know, it's. It, like it, just because you can score a lot of goals doesn't mean you can coach and know what you're doing, really. See, in those, than, in those cases are different though, because when you have pure generational talents like those two, it's really tough to copy what they did because not yeah. everyone is like them. Well, I wouldn't call Brett Hull a generational talent, but yeah, oh, uh, yeah. I do know what you mean. But yeah, like if so you he have scored a lot of goals, though. yeah, yeah, he did score a lot of goals. I, I. I I just like comparing him to Wayne Gretzky is kind of crazy. well, yeah. It's more more so the comparison to Gretzky than yeah, all, yeah. but yes. Uh, yes, but yeah, no, you're you're right. It is it is a good point. Uh, Taylor Hall also had comments on his former team, uh, the Oilers. Um, he just said it, it was a radio interview. Um, so I think it was also on ESPN, but. Um, I wouldn't say I wanted. So he was asked, like, "What did you want the Oilers to lose?" Um, and he said, "I wouldn't say I wanted them to lose, but it was nice to see them eliminated." He literally just contradicted himself, um, but I thought that was interesting compared to what PK PK said, it, like about how um, he doesn't know why he why he's not a Montreal Canadian, but he doesn't really care. So. It's kind of interesting that these are like the two um, perspectives of these things. So, um, yeah. yeah, but at, at the end of the day, what are you expecting them to say? I mean, like you're playing for two yeah, different teams and, and your former teams. Yeah, like, I don't know, blame them at all. Or, or if, let's say if they go to the finals, you're just like, are you rooting for them in the finals? It's like, nah, man, I don't care. I'm focused on my own team now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, like for PK, I felt like it was more like – it was more uh, bitter why he left. As for, like, Taylor Hall, it was more like, 
uh, we need to make a change, and it's more understandable why he left. Um, but I can I can you know. still see why Taylor Hall is frustrated because I mean like yeah. you're you're one of the first guys they take and you assume you're gonna have a big role and you're right. just ready to win and then you get traded to a team that's yeah well that's basically true. a team that you're on and not as likely to you know go as deep as the Edmonton Oilers so right. I I don't mind if he's bitter about it but I that sounds like a guy that he has that every right to be bitter on and he's focused on his on his team right now and he should be. Yeah, he has every right to be bitter. He has, uh, you know, he has another first overall pick to look forward to. So it won't be yeah. McDavid, but it, you know, it'll be a pretty good player. He'll be a talented guy. Yeah. By the way, so I don't know if we talked about it, but you watch CHL more than I do. Um, yes. Are like who would you pick if you were the Devils, Her- Nico Hirscher or uh, Nolan Patrick? <sighs> this is a tough call. If you're thinking Nolan Patrick is going to be a healthy guy, um, if, if you're if you're betting on his health, I think Nolan Patrick is the way to go. But Nico Nico Heischer or Hersher, yeah, I don't know. Um, how to pronounce I don't know how to pronounce his name to be honest. Uh, but he's no, uh, no disrespect to him. He's he's a solid number two guy. He's a solid number one guy. Um, it, it, the first the first uh, three picks. Like, even Gabe Velarde, like, we're going to talk about him in the Memorial Cup. He plays for the Windsor Spitfires. We'll talk about him a bit later. Just the way he handles the puck, the way he outworks people. Like, on one goal, he outworked three Erie Otters to get the puck to one of his teammates, and it led to a goal seconds later. Like, it's going to be a pretty tough choice. Uh, I think the hype around Nolan Patrick is enough to make him the top pick right away. But uh, I think... uh, you know, for a rookie to make that much noise uh, with the Halifax Mooseheads um, yeah. in, in the league in general, like he was named top rookie in the CHL. So um, it, you, can't, you can't go wrong with either guy. Yeah. But I think as far as hype goes, Nolan Patrick is probably the favorite. Yeah, I w- the, the Devils could surprise us. You never know. I was Yeah, I was thinking the same thought. But then when I, I was just looking at their stats – and like Nico Fischer has more points per game than Nolan Patrick, um, which is a good tell, especially since Nolan Patrick was injured, to see how yeah. like what would happen if Nolan Patrick played the same amount of games as Nico did um, or Fischer. Um, you know, Fischer would still have more points. So I don't know. It's uh, but yeah, you're right. You can't go wrong with either one. Um, I'm just taking a look at uh, Nolan Patrick because this. He actually played in uh, the 2016 Memorial Cup with the Brandon Wheat Kings. So um, we're talking about Nolan Patrick right now. Just taking a look at his numbers on EliteProspects.com here. Uh, All right. 2015-2016, 41 goals, 61 assists, 102 points. He had 30 points and 13 goals in 21 playoff games. So um, he's got a lot of hype. And in his rookie season, again, point-of-game player, uh, 19 playoff games, he scored 15 points. So that's what he did in his first two seasons with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Um, He's got a lot of hype. The the one thing that uh, um, he didn't have is his health this year. And in in just 33 games, he got 46 points this year. So um, the hype is real with this kid. It's just... Staying healthy, putting it all together for a sustained period of time. That's and and you know what? If if this could be great news for 
a team in the in the in the later stages of the top ten. If if God forbid his draft stock takes a hit, they could get a slam dunk. Uh, they 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 could um, you know a I don't team think that's picked fourth or fifth overall could get a guy like Nolan Patrick. He's not dropping that far the down. Makings of a first overall pick, but you know with his health, you know people might think otherwise. He's but not going to drop that far down. Season with it's one season with terrible injury luck. So yeah, I I don't if if it's two seasons of bad injury luck, then maybe you reconsider. But uh, I I think Patrick's going first. Okay, I I, I we got a little sidetracked there. I, I yeah. just just because that's, we were talking about the Devils, they had the first overall pick. So um, I figured I I mentioned that. No, that's fair. Um, 12 teams are changing their uniforms next year. Um, I have the list here. So Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, Colorado, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Florida, Minnesota, Nashville, New Jersey, and Ottawa are the 12 teams. 13 if you count Las Vegas because they're, you know, they're an expansion team. So, um... It'll be interesting to see. I don't. I hope that the Bruins don't change too much of their uniform, but um, I'd like to see them like have like a gold uniform. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, the one thing I did hear is that um, alternate jerseys are now a no-no potentially. Oh. So it'll just be straight up home and away. Oh. Okay. Um, so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm yeah. hearing. Um, and and. It's probably some more than others are just going to be minor tweaks because, I mean, yep. you look at the Sabres, they, they unveiled a new jersey design a couple of years ago. Um, it was the same with the Dallas Stars as well. So there are no, yeah, like, alternate the, logos, you mean? Uh, no, I'm, I'm just talking about, like, the new logos that we see uh, uh, today. Oh, well, I just didn't know that. Less so Buffalo, but, like, their jersey design, you know? No, no, you said, because you said that, like, alternate uniforms are a no-no. So I just I took that to mean Yeah, like, yeah, no. alternate uniforms could be ditched. So it's just, like, straight up, home and away. Oh, I see. Okay. But you yeah. could still have, like, an alternate logo or, I guess, a logo change, really. But Yeah, but just yeah. alternate jerseys. Right, right. True. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to getting back to the the logos and the jersey yeah. lines, like Buffalo updated their jerseys a couple of years ago. Uh, Dallas did the same. Florida just did theirs last year. Yeah, that's um, true. Many did. It feels so like Buffalo changes every like three years or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> every three years. Now they're probably going to go back to the red and silver and black. Yeah, of probably. course. <laughs> yeah. Just like midway through the season. Yeah, throwbacks like that, that are actually going to be our new uniforms. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it'll get Hashik back too in his prime. Maybe, maybe. Um, and um, the, here, here are the a couple of things though. Um, I heard rumblings from Complete Hockey News middle of the season that the New Jersey Devils were thinking of doing a wardrobe, not really so much of a drastic rebuild, but a part of me wonders if they're going to go back to the red, green, and white that they had before the mid nineties. So. That's what I'm looking out for cool. from the New Jersey perspective. Um, yep. In Ottawa, it was a back. Uh, it was sort of a back and forth topic as to whether or not the design for the black alternates that they had would be implemented for their away jerseys. So, like, they have that only like an away version, like a white version. Yeah. So, and, and ownership has made it clear they that they need to revitalize some things with their brand. So, it wouldn't surprise me if we see kind of a new look sense in that respect. Yep. Um. 
And I also like the Oilers' orange uniforms. I think that could take over the blue uniforms they normally yeah, have for more home games. So uh, those are probably the three big changes that I see. But other than that, it's probably just going to be like maybe change the trimming here and there, and yeah. that's it. That's all. Yeah, I think they're, I think you're right. I think mo- for most of these, they're just going to be minor changes. I uh, Boston is the only original six team on this list, so I, I don't. They usually don't change their logo too much. Um, but I would see, like, maybe they could do, like, a gold uniform. That would be kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I don't think, for any of these, I don't think there are going to be too many things. I'd be curious. Uh, by the way, I don't like, when I've seen Nashville playing those, like, mustard colors, I don't like it at all. I don't mind the mustard colors, but the mustard helmets. Yeah, those are Like, they, weird. they shouldn't have changed it to the mustard helmets. They should have kept it to, like, a... Whatever kind of blue design that they had. Yeah, yeah. The mustard helmets on top of the mustard jerseys, that's just, it's just odd weird. for my eyes to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully they change that. Uh, so sweet. Um, so I'm going to actually switch these two up. We were going to talk about the Memorial Cup, but I'm going to change it, switch that to the end because so, you probably have a lot on that. Uh, but Sweden wins the uh, World Hockey Championship. It's cool to see guys like Landis Gog and Henrik Lundqvist um, actually win stuff, so um, it was nice to see them happy for a change. Um, yeah. Um, um, I don't know if you also, to there. add, it, it, was, it was a entertaining game. 43-42 to 42 shots in favor of Canada. Um, second time in tournament history that the gold medal game has been decided in the shootout. So, outside of the Sens-Pens game, seven probably the most entertaining game I've watched all week. Yeah. Um, and people care one bronze Russia beat Finland 5-3 Panarin finishes with a tournament high of 17 points Memorial Cup uh, preview uh, so when this will this podcast will be out um, the game will already be playing but or the game will, will you already know the winner but um, I'll yeah. leave this to Steve uh, to talk about this whole thing um, so yeah okay. Memorial Cup so uh, talking about the teams that didn't make it to the finals, we'll start off with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, this year's tournament being played in Windsor, the Spitfires are the hosts for the first time since 1993. It's going to be an all-OHL final as the Spitfires take on the Erie Otters for all the marbles. Remember when I said that Windsor would be the only team to challenge Erie? Yep. Oh, look at me now. I got it mm-hmm. right. Nice. Uh, also, the Sioux Greyhounds back in 93 defeated the Peterborough Peets 4-2. That was 24 years ago, the last OHL final, all OHL final. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. Four teams, we're going to take a look at them now. We'll start with the Thunderbirds, who are the first to get knocked out of the tournament. They were also the only team that failed to score a power play goal. They went 0 for 8 in three games. The biggest link that let them down was their starts to hockey games. In the first game, and then shot 17 to 6. They eventually lost that game 4 to 2. The second game, they lose 7-1 to Windsor. Three of those goals came on the first 11 shots in the opening frame. Um, Steve? And in the match, they, and they, all three goals they gave up came in a span of 36 seconds. Is even worse. Uh, the final game, they gave up six goals on 14 shots in the second period. Uh, to put mildly, they were overpowered. The big guns struggled, and that's why they're done. Uh, taking a look at the St. John Sea Dogs, they're out of the QMJHL, the Quebec Major Junior League. This this team was the definition of streaky. Uh, um, 
They didn't get too much power play success. They went two for 13 on the tournament. Uh, They, however, were able to adapt and bounce back from adversity to an extent. Um, They lose a nail-biter 3-2 to Windsor in the first game. They got throttled 12-5 by Erie in the second game. Um, And then in their finale against Seattle, they used five goals in a span of events and nine seconds and uh, blank the Thunderbirds by a score of 7-0 to stave off elimination and force a rematch with the Erie Otters. Unfortunately, they didn't take advantage of the sloppy play from their opponent's side of the ice in the first period, and that's why they were bounced 6-3 to three on Friday night. So the Sea Dogs are out. Let's talk about the two teams that are actually in the finals. Um, the Erie Otters, we'll start off with them. When you have a power play that can score five times in a single game like they did against the Sea Dogs in the round-robin stage, and when you can go 9-for-20 in a best-on-best best tournament like this on the power play overall, you know you have a team that's worthy of playing in the finals, and they really are a team that's worthy of playing at this stage. Um, there are 12 goals in one game against the Sea Dogs. That's a Memorial Cup record for most goals scored in a game. Taylor Radish, Dylan Strom had seven points each in that game, also a tournament record. And Dylan Strom accounted for 10 of Erie's 39 shots on the night as well. Um, but again, I allude back to the amount of depth that this team has. You look at Alex Dabrinkit, nine points in four games. He was named CHL Player of the Year. Anthony Sorelli, eight points in four games. Darren Radish, a defenseman, seven points in four games. Along with Taylor Radish's five goals and 11 points in four games, those five guys I just mentioned are your top five scorers in this tournament heading into the finals, which is unbelievable. Uh, two things could get in their way when it comes to winning a Memorial Cup. The first one is their first period starts. Um, let's take a look at the second game against the Sea Dogs. Took takes them a while to get into the zone. Passes weren't crisp. Their ability to transition wasn't the smoothest I've seen from them this year. If the opposition's able to get out there and take them, uh, take it to them early, like Winston did in the round-robin finale, um, I think their hopes of a Memorial Cup title could be dashed in a hurry. Um, secondly, and more importantly, Troy Timpano their goal hasn't been lights out in any of the first four games. The first game against Seattle, two goals and 20 shots, that's not too bad. Five goals and 23 shots in a 12-5 blowout where your team wins by seven goals. Five goals on 23 shots isn't really flattering. And then you look at the Windsor game, four goals, 19 shots uh, faced. Semis versus St. John, three goals against on 23 shots. Uh, if the winners declared, uh, if the winners declared uh, by the best team game, it shouldn't really matter. But uh, goaltending can determine a lot, and I'll get back to that in a bit. Um, but... Just the overall team play, when Erie's on their game, they're very tough to beat. In the one game that they lost, 4-2, over, uh, 4-2 against Windsor, they lost. Otters outshoot them 35-19 in the game, 30-10 in the final 40, and they also went over 10 minutes in the first period without getting a single shot on net, and yet they still outshot them handily. They had six players with at least four shots on goal. Windsor had just two. They... Uh, and um, in the face-off dot, the Otters uh, won 45 draws, lost 18, and all four of their face-off men were above 50%. Offensively speaking, this is about as dangerous as it gets. So Windsor's going to have their work cut out for them. 
Uh, now, lastly, talking about the host, the Windsor Spitfires. In the first two games, they really got out in front. They put their death to good use. Their third game, they get a hat-trick from Jeremiah Addison. Gabe Velarde, as I mentioned earlier, his puck-handling ability is so strong. Uh, that's what powered them to victory over the Otters. They were very opportunistic. They used those two guys. And then uh, just just the way they're able to make team first plays. Like in that game against Seattle, I saw a huge diving block by Taylor Chatfield. Wide open net. Thunderbirds have a wide open net there. They should have been able to score there. Taylor Chatfield just dives in front of it and blocks the shot. Just that fearlessness to make the big plays to to help out your teammates. That's, that's what this team does. Probably... Um, if not just as good, better than any other team in this tournament. And then the big difference they have is a good goaltender. And Mike DiPietro, in that game against Erie, made 33 saves. Ultimately, the difference in Wednesday's finale, uh, they were outshot 9 nothing to end the game. They gave up 11 straight shots at one point in the second. If he can make some timely saves, and he's done that many times in this tournament, the Otters should be very, very concerned. Um... And before we end this segment, it should be noted, in 2009, the Windsor Spitfires started 0-2 in the tournament. They reeled off four straight wins to win the whole thing. They won their final tournament game in the round robin. They won a tiebreaker to get the semifinals. They won the semifinals, and they won the finale against uh, Kelowna. And then they go 4-0 the year after with Taylor Hall and Adam Henrique and Ryan Ellis. Uh um, they go 4-0 uh, the year later. So that's eight straight wins. They won street, uh, they won all three, uh, they won all of their first three matches in this tournament. Heading into the finals, they won 11 straight Memorial Cup games, which is absolutely ridiculous. Wow. Um, so uh, we're going to wrap up a Sunday final, of course, uh, in the next episode. It'll just be a quick recap. Yep. But if you're wondering how we got to where we are today, uh, hopefully this uh, little lecture uh, explained it for you. So, and uh, just before we wrap up the show, I just wanted to quickly mention this. Speaking of prospects, this guy doesn't play in the CHL, but a wait, guy wait. you should really take notice oh. of. The Columbus Blue Jackets signed an undrafted Latvian goaltender, Mattis Edmonds Kivlenikis, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. We'll call <laughs> him Mattis. They signed him to a three-year entry-level deal. Mattis posted a 1.85 goals against average and 932 save percentage in 49 games with the Sioux City Musketeers last year. Not only was he named goalie of the year in the USHL, he was named player of the year. So definitely a guy worth keeping your eye on. Anyways, rant over. So who, uh, I know the game will already be playing before you guys hear this, but uh, who do you, what are your predictions, Erie Otters or the uh, uh, Windsor Spitfires? Erie sounds like a team of destiny. I expect them to win it, but it wouldn't surprise me if Windsor wins it. I say it goes to overtime, and I'm going to go 3-2 Windsor simply because I want sense prospect Logan Brown to win a trophy. So, okay, yeah. that's a good reason. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, our social media here. So Lace Up Podcast is our Twitter. That's where we had our polls, and we often update it there. Um, we're also on Fantrax. Um, uh, SoundCloud, too. Uh, you can go on our Facebook uh, at Lace, uh, Lace Em Up. Um, just search it there. You can also look at 
look us up on iTunes at Laysome Up there. Um, email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. I think that's it. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 79 of the Lace Em Up podcast. Yeah. Enjoy the Stanley Cup.